Okay, so tonight we're going to finish up the final section of from this Acts chapter 2 portion. In fact, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 and just read the two closing verses of the chapter because they express kind of what we want to talk about tonight. But again, we're talking about where, how we should be praying for our church and where our focus should be as a church. And so we've been addressing different things about the forgotten reality that churches sometimes find themselves focused on. And so, so I'm going to start off again with the same statement that I've started off with uh, for the last six weeks. This will be our seventh week. And that is, uh, first of all, that many believers are confused about what the church is. And I would even expand it a little bit and say they're, they're confused about what the church is or what the church does. What the church does. Because that almost, well, who it is and what it does is a big issue. And so you have lots of churches where their whole focus is in that area. And we've talked about that where churches are focused on politics or churches are focused on social action, where churches are focused on uh, the worship service or whether they're focused on experiences or whether, and, and the other extreme focused on total just uh, studying of the Bible and getting, you know, uh, being teased intellectually by the messages and so forth. And so a lot of folks are just flat out confused. I would even say a lot of pastors are flat out confused about what the church is. So we went to Acts chapter 2, and we looked at verses 42 to 47, and from that we came up with seven things that the early church, the very first church in those initial days when the Holy Spirit came upon them, in those initial days that they focused on. And so I'm just going to go through them again. So number one, they focused on, their focus was God's Word. And so they devoted themselves to God's Word, the apostles' teaching. So it, God's Word was a major part of their lives. And to be honest with you, we live in an age right now where people basically say doctrine doesn't matter. Churches will say Doctrine doesn't matter. And so the Word of God really is diminished as far as its importance in believers' lives and even in church. But for the early church, it was very important what the apostles were teaching because it was telling them about Jesus and what Je the salvation that he brought and what uh, his promises were for the future and the new life that was to be found in him. And so God's Word was very important. Fellowship... That word is koinonia in the Greek. It means an intimate fellowship. That's basically talking about that they devoted themselves to spending time with each other. Uh, so to them, the, our concept of church today would be totally foreign to the, to the early church. You know, the way we have church today with an hour service and preacher don't go past 12 o'clock and, uh, you know, having Sunday school and whatever, that would be completely foreign to the early church because they wanted to just spend time together. They spent time studying God's word, but they spent time encouraging each other. So when you like, you look in Acts, you go a little bit further. When Act, when uh, Paul is in Miletus 
and he is preaching, and of course he's preaching into the evening, and one guy falls asleep and falls out of the third story window. You know, that kind of those kind of stories are foreign to us because what do you mean they were there till the night studying God's word? That doesn't that doesn't even mean anything. Well, the early church met together often. They that that was their life. That was their escape. And so they enjoyed fellowshipping with each other. So that's why I like to say that church is more than a worship service. You know, it is more than a worship service. It has to be. So then the next aspect is, is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which refers to the Lord's table, to communion. And that is, of course, the remembrance of the body and blood of Christ. And so the issue here is worship. So they devoted themselves to the worship of Christ. Now, when we talk about worship, again, we're in a religious culture where that means the worship service and the music. And, and so we, we just went through a period of time where we had the worship wars in our churches. Some churches are still going through that. Not as many as they used to be, but you know we don't want that modern sound here. We want more hymns and everything. So like the style of worship was what they were talking about. Well, that's not what it's talking about here. Worship, it's talking about as a heartfelt attitude and response to Christ for its salvation, which is expressed like when you take communion. Do you know what I'm saying? When you take of partake of the elements of the break in the breaking of the bread. So worship. Next one, prayer. That's why we're here. <clears throat> that's where we're lacking. I think that's where the church is lacking, period, and that is prayer. We're lacking that in our individual lives. They devoted themselves to prayer because especially those who were of the 500 who saw Jesus, you think prayer was real to them? Because they saw him and they saw the resurrected Christ. And those who responded, some of them surely had heard and, and saw the miracles that he did and realized who was among them. Prayer, prayer was meaningful. And so meaningful prayer, they devoted themselves. God's presence was real among them, and we talked about that. Uh, we're not talking about a feeling. We're talking about seeing the evidence of God working in a church. In the instance of the book of Acts, he was doing signs and wonders. Now, that, that term has been co-opted by certain denominations to reflect certain things, but no, that's, that's really, I mean, we can't use that in that sense, but in the sense that God was doing things that only God could do. You know, so obviously there were healings or whatever. God could do them. And providing and working out circumstances and the sense of God being in the midst when they were in church, and it brought fear from them because this is a holy God. You know what I'm saying? This is a holy God. So then sacrifice, we talked about that, and that is you know, a willingness to put others before themselves, and they saw everything as common. And if somebody had a need, and I think that's the key word, if somebody had a need, they were willing to do what they can to help. So when we look at these six things, there's a seventh thing here, and really this is something that I really shouldn't say is a focus, because that would be misleading. Because a lot of churches do focus on this. But we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I, I'm, I, think, I think the seventh thing maybe we could say is a result. Okay? A result. And that's this. Impact. The Lord added 
daily to the church those who were being saved. So the church had an impact. That was the result. And so we're going to talk about that. In fact, I'm not going to go to any other passage of Scripture. I'm just going to look at verses 46 and 47 of Acts to talk about having what it means to have an impact. Now, as I say that, two things I want to bring to mind because it's extremely true in this area. First of all, there is a tendency to swing from one extreme to another concerning impact. Rather than trying to find a balance, sometimes what we do is, is we just, because we notice, oh, we're not having an impact, so we swing the pendulum over to the other side to try to have an impact. And what I mean by that is, okay, so for instance, maybe you have a pastor and his emphasis was Bible teaching, and so outreach was not what it should be. So I've seen this happen, the pastor leaves, the pulpit committee gets together and they decide, well, we need to get a pastor that will will do more outreach. So they bring a guy in, and so everything is about outreach and about making an impact. To the point now where every message is a gospel presentation. So before they were getting fed, but there was no emphasis on outreach. Now everything's about outreach, and every message is about a gospel presentation. Well, well, that's great if every week somebody's coming in who needs to know the Lord and get saved. But if you're there as a believer, there's nothing there for you. Do you understand? So you go from one extreme to the other. Here's another extreme. One extreme is, okay, you know, we're, we're going to do our outreach, but we're, we're not going to do anything with the community. The other extreme of that is, is we're going to do everything for the community. We're going to get involved in everything, social action. You know, we're going to get involved with this, that, or another, and that's another extreme. So we we go from one extreme to another. Now, when I say social action, I'm not against social action, but I think you got to be balanced when you approach it, because what can happen is, and this is what happened in the 30s, the 1930s with the modernism thing, is churches moved away from the word of God and evangelism to doing social action. And so now we have what we call the liberal denominations, which no longer have the word of God as their authority. And they're open to anything. Do you understand? All in the name of social action. And so we have to be careful. So there's a tendency to swing from one extreme to another concerning impact. So... Many think in terms of the social impact that a church can have. So here in the last 10 years, especially in, especially in ministry training and in ministry uh, books and so forth, they've been talking about churches being missional. Now, obviously, the, when you hear that term, if you've never heard that term before, you would think, oh, well, they must be talking about being missionary and, and doing outreach in the traditional sense of evangelism. But actually, the term has been actually a little bit more broadened than that to be any type of social action for the purpose of building relationships. Do you understand? And a quote, having a witness in the community that would, uh, you know, quote, bring people to Jesus. So you have all kinds of extremes happening now. You have extremes where you maybe have churches where uh, well, you know, whatever you want to do is okay because Jesus loves you and just come to Christ and that's okay. 
to other churches where they're involved in social action projects. And so many in turn, many think in terms of impact as being social impact in the community. But I'm going to be honest with you, that's not what impact is here. Impact is not talking about impacting the community socially. Because here's the problem, okay, here's the problem. The church is never going to have that kind of impact. Just going to be honest with you. Now you say, I don't know if I agree with you on that one, George. No, I think that's a ridiculous statement to make. No, no, I want you to hear me. The church isn't going to make that kind of an impact. And the reason why is, is because the implication of the text is, is that the church is always going to be, number one, a minority in the world, as far as the scripture. Number two, most are going to reject. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and what? Many take it, he said in the Sermon on the Mount. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few go there. So a lot of things with the social impact thing is, is that we think we're going to try to reach everybody and change everybody, but the reality is, is you can't. You can't. So like even here recently, for me, I've realized this. This has been hard for me. I've realized that you can share, 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 and live your life out in front of somebody for so long. And they still reject. Now, is it you? No, it isn't you. No, it isn't you at all. I mean, you could try to answer their questions, and you could answer them to your best of your ability. What's the issue? It's, it has to be the Lord working in their heart. It has to be the Lord opening their hearts, and, and their hearts are closed. They have closed their hearts to the gospel. They have closed their hearts to the truth. And, in fact, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's not that our gospel is veiled, but what? The God of this world has blinded their eyes to the truth, lest they turn to the light. So they're blinded. So when we talk about all this stuff that we're doing to try to attract the world and try to attract the world, that's not what we're talking about here as far as impact. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not a concerted effort to try to bring people in. So you say, okay, George, where are you going with this? Okay, I want you to hear me, because we're going to look at these two verses now. And you're actually going to be quite surprised. Here's a group that had an impact. But I'm, I'll, let me go ahead and say it. But it wasn't like they were looking to have an impact. That, that's the most shocking thing about the passage. It wasn't like they were purposely looking to have an impact. The impact happened. What do you mean? Well, let me read the verses. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
All right, let me, let me dissect that to you because that's a historical account here. So let me just kind of dissect it to you into four things that I think were key there that need to be expressed with us, okay? All right, the first one is, is the church functioned with unity among its members. So the church was unified. Look at what it says there. It says in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord. So the church was a unit. They, they were an intimate group. And, and as a unit, they functioned daily. So that's the first thing, is that they were unified. Now, we know from other passages of Scripture, what were they unified with? Well, the love of Christ, the love of God, and their love for each other. Jesus said this, John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall you know that you're my disciples. Why? By your love for one another. So it was a community that was unified. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We got a lot of work to do on that because we're not going to say that we've arrived here. We always have a lot. You always have to work on that. You can't ever assume that you're there. But I've been in churches where that was the last thing you could say about the church that you, that you were in. I was in a church that split. Did you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you cannot say that they were unified. Even the people who were left, like even the people on both sides weren't even unified with each other. Did you understand what I'm saying? They had their own different reasons for being involved with it. But here, when you look at this early church, the first thing it says here is that they continued daily with one accord. There was unity among the believers. Okay? Unity. I think that has to have an impact. Right, why would you say that has to have an impact? Well, hey, would you describe our culture right now as being unified? No, it's almost extreme. It's like, I mean, even down to family units. Did you know what I'm saying? Even down to, I've talked to people and they're like, my brother says this and now he says he won't ever talk to me again. What were y'all talking about? The president. Really? Are you kidding me? It's gotten that bad. So for a church to be unified on what's right, that with all that other stuff being left behind, that would be a testimony. Because I can tell you right now, okay, with all the folks that attend our church, I already know from interacting with them, we are not going to get any agreement on politics from anything here. We can't even agree on a team to support. Did you know what I'm saying? That's not going to happen. Did you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just not going to happen. But that's not the basis of unity. The basis of unity is Jesus and the life that we have with him. So the church functioned with unity among its members. Now, here's the other thing that I think is amazing that probably stood out in their culture, definitely would stand out in our culture. Joy marked the church as it continued its daily routine. Look at what it says, verse 46. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a joy among them. There, there was a joy. Where, was the, where did the joy come from? Christ, of course. Um, and so th their gatherings were marked with 
joy. Not craziness, but gladness. Glad that they were believers together and they existed in simplicity. And I think, again, that stands in stark contrast. Okay, even, I mean, stop, I'm, I'm 52 years old. So from my time of remembering things, so I can remember seeing Nixon on the TV when he resigned. So I can, I can go back that far in my mind and remember that. But the first reality of a president, though, is like Jimmy Carter, okay, as a teenager. And, uh, and then, of course, Ronald Reagan when I started into college. But I don't, we've never been unified. Well, maybe it's been quiet, but we've always, there's always been some sort of whatever going on. And the church should be a place that its focus, because of who they are and their and their unity with each other, that in the midst of a world that is crying out, where there's so much despair. I mean, I, th I think I mentioned this Sunday morning when I was praying. You know, Saturday morning, I, I went walking to... South side to the garage. I had my truck over at the garage on the south side, and so I thought I'll walk over, Lori, and pick it up. And so I'm walking down the trail, and got my smartphone, and I'm looking, reading this, reading this, and I'm looking up where I'm going so I don't bust into a tree or something. And and I see a lady coming, and and I don't know who she is, but so I'm just keeping my focus there. And then she says, "You're you're the, you're the pastor," and I said, "Well, I'm one of the pastors." And she said, I, I need to share something with you. And she spent 15 minutes pouring out a pain, a hurt in her life that something going on in their family. And then she said, you know, wiped away the tears and left. And I said, I would pray for her. I walked, got my, got the vehicle, drove back home. I said, Lori, it just seems like every day people are pouring out their pain. There's no joy in people's lives. You could say, well, the same thing's true in our life. Yes, but the joy we have isn't found in what's here in this life. It's found in Jesus. Do you understand? So joy marked this church, this first church. So here's the other point. Those outside of the church viewed it with favor. Now, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, even Acts chapter, up to about Acts chapter 5, People maybe didn't agree with the church. They, you'll, you'll see people are just, they're coming in large numbers to the church, but there's a lot who aren't. But it still says that they held the church in favor. They still had respect for the church. And it's not like they were going around trying to earn that. It was just them going about their daily routine, and they found favor. And I thought that's interesting. So those outside of the church viewed it with favor. So then that brings us to the final point here, which is where I want to end up here. Because that really is, remember I told you impact is not a focus, but rather a result. So here's the result. The Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Over and over in the scripture, especially the New Testament scripture, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm almost confounded sometimes. It's like, why didn't I see that in the earlier years of being a believer and in being in ministry? That it's the Lord who builds his church. Jesus said to Peter, you know, I'm, you know, he named him Simon. I'm calling you Peter, which is rock. But then he said, upon this rock, referring to himself, I, notice what he says, I will build my church. The emphasis is, is that Jesus will build the church. And so the emphasis is, is that to free us up, because I can remember feeling such extreme pressure as somebody who sat in a pew, even as somebody as a pastor, that it was my responsibility to lead people to Jesus and bring them to church. Now, it's my responsibility to share and I off, but I was at one point was operating on the assumption that it was me who was saving them. I mean, I know that's theologically incorrect. It is theologically incorrect. Who saves them? Jesus saves them. But it, you know, if I'm not going out there, then here's the one I, you got blood on your hands. Have you heard that one? You got blood on your hands. And yeah, I'm supposed to be a witness, but every over and over, it's the Spirit who draws them. It's the Spirit who gives them understanding. It's it's God who saves them. Okay, so what, what's your point here, George? Well, here's the thing. So the church, being what it should be, and I would say focusing on those first six things, okay? God's Word, fellowship, prayer, worship, sacrifice, That has, God uses that to have an impact in people's lives. And he adds to the church. Now you say, where's the sharing in that? Of course we share. If you're going to do what he calls you to do as a church, you're going to share the gospel. But the impact comes as God brings the church to where it needs to be. It's he who brings the church. So, okay, so okay, what, how are we going to pray this then, church? How are we going to pray about impact? Well, I think two things. I think, number one, we need to pray, God, help us to be the church you want us to be, a biblical church, focused where you want us to be focused, not on what some some guy says over here or what some guy says over here, not even what George says. Do you understand? Because sometimes I could lose it. I could go away to a conference, like I'm going to a conference in November, I could sit there in a conference and say, oh, wow, that's new, that's great, come back and impose that on the church and create chaos. You know, you know what I'm saying? And don't have unity then, won't, you know, we're not, I mean, that's a whole nother ball of wax that opens up. So the, the reality is, is God, you help us, help Kerwinsville Christian Church be the church that we need to be, devoted to the word of God devoted to um, to prayer, devoted to worship and being with each other, devoted to sacrificing, being there for others, devoted to worship, sensing your presence and seeing your presence. And, and God, through that, you use us to impact the lives of others. So God, help us to be the church that you want us to be. And then the second thing I would say is this, is, okay, hear what I'm going to say. Lord, you are calling people to yourself. 
Would you build your church? It's not George's responsibility. It's not the elder's responsibility. It's not the individual member's responsibility in the church. Lord, would you build your church? You said upon this rock, I will build my church. You said in your word, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Would you build your church? Lord, help us to be who we need to be, but you build your church. You bring the people here that need to be brought here. You know, and I think through the years of being here, I I can think of several different people who have said to me testimony. I remember a young couple that came. uh, You know, he's now in ministry somewhere else, and um, who came and... They drove by our church, and they had this sense that we need to check that church out. So they pulled in the parking lot, and we're looking through the window into the Sunday school wing, and somebody came out the chiropractor thinking that they were up to something. What are you doing over there? And, you know, they were just trying to look into the church, you know, because the doors are locked. And then they were here the next Sunday, and they were with us for a few years. And, and that's just one story, and I've heard other stories. Who brought them? God did. God brought them. You know what I'm saying? God told them to come. So God, build your church. And show me what my responsibility is in doing that. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We uh, thank you for your love for us. And we want to see our church impact our community. But Lord, we... We recognize that that is a result of what is happening here and your work here. And you're drawing people to yourselves because you're the one who builds your church. So we're asking, Father, two things. We're asking, number one, would you help us to be the church you want us to be? Guide us in that direction especially in our culture today. Help us to be the church you are calling us to be. Then, Father, would you build your church? Would you add to your church those who are being saved? Lord, we want to see people come to know Christ. We have have loved ones, we have friends, family members, neighbors, people we see every once in a while, people we know in town who need Jesus. We've shared before, or we wanted to share, and but their, their, their minds are closed, their hearts are hardened, their eyes are blinded to the truth and they can't see. Would you open their eyes? Would you soften their hearts? Would you open their minds to the truth so that they might be saved, Lord? I'm asking, Father, that you would build your church. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, and I just thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.